All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Faye from Face World Media. I have a very, very special guest today with me, uh, Chris Voss. Uh, I have chatted and maybe interviewed Chris several times already in the past. And we actually met up in person in Venice, California in 2018 for the Face World documentary. That was such a memorable experience, um, Chris. And I just absolutely, I learned so much from you that day and and all the and the years leading to that. So before we get started, I'm going to introduce Chris to those of you who are not as familiar with his work. And uh, here we go. So Chris Voss is a former lead FBI negotiator and dynamic speaker who debunks the biggest myths of negotiation. Chris engages all groups with captivating stories, insights, useful tips, and business for business and everyday life, as well as interactive audience participation. Chris has led, lectured, and has lectured on negotiation at business schools across the country and has been seen and featured on ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox News, and Forbes. Chris's keynotes are based on his book, Never Split the Difference, and topics include negotiation secrets from an FBI hostage negotiator, why yes is the last thing you want to hear, two words that immediately transform any negotiation, and guaranteeing execution, how to ensure follow through. And in this live stream, we'll be discussing Chris's latest project and book, The Full Fee Agent, released in November 2022 and available wherever books are sold as well as the tactical empathy and skillful negotiation for digital content creators, uh, including, for instance, if you're a YouTuber, podcaster, social media influencer, content creator in general, who's looking to grow your brand and your business, this is going to be an invaluable masterclass delivered to you by Chris. So don't miss out this opportunity. And with that said, Chris, welcome. I'm finally seeing you here. That's fantastic. I'm really happy to be on with you. You're wonderful and energetic and colorful uh, all at once. It's fun. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. For those of you who are watching, we can't really see you if you're on LinkedIn. So feel free to drop any comments once again. So, Chris, I'm so excited to learn about this project. I'm subscribed to your newsletter. I definitely follow through on everything. You have my favorite masterclass on masterclass.com. And I've watched it on my own with my family and friends. Uh, it's just incredible. But we're going to start open with this brand new project book that you co-authored called The Full Fee Agent. So I'm really curious, how did this project come about for you? Well, um, uh, my co-author, Steve Schull, uh, when he got in touch with us probably about six years ago now wow. um, and actually got... Uh, he got in touch with the company, talked to my son, Brandon, who's, who's really sort of built the company and been running things. And uh, Brandon said, look, you just got to talk to this guy, Shaw. He's, he's a good guy. We got to see what he has going. And it was it was a perfect partnership. I mean, I, you know, I like the guy from the very beginning. Uh, no nonsense, straight shooter, coaching real estate agents <laughs> in the L.A. area. And he said, look, you know, uh, your material applies thousand percent. You just come on and we'll talk about it with my agents. And so we started, you know, tailoring Never Split the Difference Black Swan Method into the real estate business. And his agents started making more money with less work and were just happier. And so over the course of several years of working together, we decided, you know, we got we got to put a book out. It's kind of it's kind of the same way we did Never Split the Difference, Brandon and I previously. 
Mm -hmm. We'd been teaching it in business schools and proving the content concepts over and over. And, you know, once Steve and I had been doing this enough that absolute proof of con concept and like literally one agent who completely applied the methodology and then tracked her results. She said, I worked 80% less over the last 12 months and I made the same amount of money that I made the previous year, Wow! which means she got her life back and she started enjoying life. You know, being a, being a real estate agent, tough gig. I mean, it is tough, tough, tough. It, it's so hard. The attrition there is huge. And it's mm -hmm. a really important thing for, for people to do. Help somebody get a house. Help, help somebody put their kids in a better house, better future for their family. Mm -hmm. So we wrote the book. And people that are following the methodology are making more money and happier. More than anything else, mm -hmm. they're happier because it's not as stressful. I love this approach. And what I'm hearing, one of the key things is instead of focusing on, you know, double, triple your income, what if people are actually happy with their income, but can actually choose to work a lot less? That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's fun to watch these people. Like a couple of people that first on, you know, real estate agents are used to being available 24 seven, taking calls in the middle of the night, stressed out clients, weekends, I'm there for you evenings and weekends. They don't need to be there then. And mm -hmm. one of the agents sent Steve a text saying like, I'm thinking about binging on Netflix this weekend. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> what do I do with my free time? Yeah. Yeah. What, what if I have a life again? And, wow. that, and it's really cool. And, and the other thing that's, that I get a, a kick out of is, um, you know, like a lot of the top agents in, in the LA area, you know, they're selling 30, 40, 50 million dollar houses. They almost never get full fee. Never. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the people at the top end, super successful, when Steve started coaching them, said, this is the first time I've gotten full fee in seven, seven years. Like, I thought I was good. Mm -hmm. And now, now I'm getting full fee at the top end. Like, it's just it's crazy how, how much real estate agents give their money away and how unnecessary it is. That's right. You know, I actually knew nothing really about real estate until, as you know, Chris, uh, you know, nearly two and a half years ago, I bought a house. I remember you were the first few people I, I you know, uh, mentioned this to. And I learned so much, such as, you know, working with Redfin, who takes a huge cut of the fee and, and other services, whereas agents who can represent themselves and charge full fee, that's that's actually not as straightforward as people would think. So um I was just wondering, every time I mentioned the book, Never Split the Difference, including my client, you know, Michael Leckie is like, of course, I love that book. Talking to him in a, an hour and a half, everybody knows this book. Yet I was just wondering, to me, the learnings are so universally applicable. I, as I was reading The Full Feet Agent, um, about 50% through on Kindle, for those of you who like to read on Kindle, it's there, so convenient. Uh, and I love physical books as well. I probably would want to get a copy as I did with Never Split the Difference. Is Chris, how did you find in terms of the difficulty of translation? Did you have to translate anything or uh, adapt to the real estate agent mindset and, and market at all for this book? Uh, it's more um, them recognizing what's really holding, helping them see what's really holding them back mm -hmm. and, and helping them creating the analogies that... Um, that really jump out at them and then, and then just busting them, the myths that are just lies, you know, like 
the most of the advice on negotiation out there and on business and on real estate is it's just a numbers game. You know, just do more. Just work harder. Just do more. Go out, knock on those doors. What you know, one more time, and it, then the percentage of success is really low, and you're killing yourself to make a living. Well, there's a there's a bunch of those times when it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So, what if you could figure out how not to waste your time? Now, this is a challenge for everybody, and I think it's a particular challenge because. If you're a decent, trustworthy person, tr- you trust. Trustworthy mm-hmm. people trust. So they're trusting other people to be honest with them and to not waste that time or for mm-hmm. it to be a malicious or evil thing. Some people waste your time. They don't mean to, but they do. Mm-hmm. And so how do, you, how do you tease that out? Everybody's got the same challenge. How do I? I don't even got to get better. I just got to eliminate the people that are wasting my time and mm-hmm. getting the real estate agents to grasp that there are a lot, you know, those listing presentations are a waste of time. They are a waste of time. Before you went out there, the buyer's mind is 90% of the way made up. Or you're never going to get the deal. So what would happen if you could figure out where their head was before you went to see them? And where are those trigger points in your life where you're wasting time? And in point of fact, they all kind of have the same profile. So you start looking out for the profile and you start seeing it in advance and you you change your life. Mm. What are some of the tricks people can actually do that? As you were saying this, I can't help translating all the sales calls I end up getting on as a creator with brands, with people who want to work on YouTube strategy with me. And I'm thinking like, I need to learn some of the, the tactics here. You know, some of it is... Um, Everybody knows where the friction points are going to be in in every sort of interaction, every sort of deal. And a smart move is to bring it up honestly, up front and gently. Mm -hmm. And um, not in a mean way. I mean, like everybody loves straight shooters. What does a straight shooter do? A straight shooter tells us the truth right up front, but they don't club us with it. They don't beat us with it, but they they know where the problems are. So for, for a real estate agent, the ones that start getting their own lives back in, in the first five minutes, if not in the first sentence, they say, I'm a full service, full fee agent. And then they go dead silent because you're not going to get a full fee unless you lay it out up front Mm -hmm. and you don't deserve a full fee if you're not full service. Mm -mm. And then a, a real estate agent who's full service who's good at what they do, that 6%, they're, that's, a, that's, a, that's the most ridiculously cheap deal on the planet. Like if you get a finder's fee for putting two people together for a great business deal, you're looking for 10%. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and you got to earn that 10%. You got to do more than just introduce people. You want a finder's fee in a business deal, you shepherd the deal. You stay in touch with everybody that's involved. You make sure that it's a fit. You more than earn that 10% and everybody's, Everybody's better off. It's a lot more than just an introduction. Mm-hmm. Agents kill themselves. You know, they got to navigate this whole process. So you should be honest about it up front. And if you if you say to uh, a potential client, I'm a full service, full fee agent right away. Very matter of fact, you know, it would be like, you know, I, I wear glasses. You know, you're just stating something that's true. Then mm-hmm. they're impressed with it. 
and they appreciate the fact that you brought it out up front and and they're gonna they're gonna be more interested in you know what's your service and what your fee if you think your service is worth a full fee let's talk about what the service is so it's, mm-hmm. it's little things that up front people that get really good at their business understand what are the things they won't do and what they need to do a great job and they talk about it right away mm-hmm. hmm. i love that i'm, I'm taking notes and uh, I really want to encourage people, really, whether or not you are a real estate agent. For me, this book is, in a way, very, very, very helpful, insightful, but it's not difficult to read. I find it very, you know, it's storified. I really love your co author, Steve, who is able to kind of instill his own experience, the struggles he's had, all the transformation he's had with you. And it just made me really intrigued. And for those of you who have not picked up a copy, never split the difference. This is a life-changing one. This is, you know, a, a staple on nearly every bookshelf I'm aware of. All my clients, my friends read a ton of books. This is their go-to. So I, I highly recommend people to, to pick it up. So Chris, I'm selfishly, since I have this limited time with you, I also want to express, you know, my gratitude for knowing you, for having you as a mentor in my life that really transformed my business. And, you know, I actually started my business in 2016. I remember shortly after that, I picked up your book and the learning has been continuous because as a creator, I went from, you know, just working as a consultant to all of a sudden, since I started my YouTube channel in 2019, six months later, I started having brand deals, talking to software companies. Um, Most of them are software companies but working with people and marketers uh, where their internal marketing teams who are really frank to say, Faye, we actually are not entirely sure what we're doing for this whole creator economy, this influencer program. How much do you charge? Um, they literally don't really have a lot of data just yet. So um, I would love to, I don't love the, the phrase, pick your brain, but I'd love to have a discussion with you about uh, your vision, what you see currently in the creator economy, and maybe some of the pitfalls or mistakes that we tend to make as creators. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, it's I, it's probably a little bit what you, I don't know if you do it consciously or unconsciously, but, you know, never stop learning and, um, you know, don't ever give it up. You know, don't ever quit. Don't ever quit on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that some people, you know, the creator economy sounds and looks uh, really easy to some people, you know, and they, and they want to be famous without really working that hard at it. Or, you know, they want, I want, I'm an influencer. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the phrase, uh, there's two, two times to plant an oak tree 20 years ago and right now. Well, a lot of people don't want to have planted it and grow it, but they want the oak tree right now. Well, you, you know, it, it'll grow pretty fast. And so I think, if it, you know, any, anybody who is not trying to constantly put forth value or I see an awful lot of people. Now, what I see the worst of it is uh, around cr- cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And I see an awful lot of people trying to jump into this craze really quickly and self-appointed experts. And I've, I've figured out just about enough of it right now to be able to detect um, a BS artist, they're either, they're either, they're either full of it or they are absolutely delusional about it. Mm-hmm. Either way, you know, 
like you're jumping into the game late here. You don't want to learn. You have been studying it for a long time. You hear about people becoming millionaires, billionaires off of mm-hmm. crypto. You don't know anything about crypto. You want to start advising on it. Like I'm shocked at the people that I see spouting this stuff and are listed as experts. And I know it's nonsense. And that's where I'm seeing it most now. So, you know, if you're following a crowd, if you're if you're lazy about it, if you think this is if you're a poser, you know, you want great pictures of you as opposed to actually doing work, you're going to find it very frustrating and you're wasting everybody's time. If nothing else, you're showing people what somebody doesn't know what they're talking about looks like. But if you if you want to learn, if you do, won't give up, like Gary V, what the hell did Gary V know when he started? Probably nothing. <laughs> but the dude just won't give up, and he's constantly learning, and he's constantly after it, yeah. and he's he's constantly willing to be smarter. And, and if you could be a creator at anything, if you're constantly willing to get smarter and bring more value to the table than what you get paid for. And then you'll, you'll be capable of bringing more value to the table constantly, which kind of makes your earnings, you know, your earnings are only limited by your ability to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was a rambling answer or I, I'm sure I was all over the place. No, that's so interesting. Actually, it kind of piqued my interest in something that I wish I thought of last night when I was planning the the questions. But you're absolutely right. Because so, so many of us, I even, I make mistakes or I get really, it makes me, so feel so cringy when I look at a banner that says, oh, your seven figure first course launch, follow me here, try this there. Um, from using, I think, some of the learnings from Never Split the Difference, I find someone in your position who are just so much better at identifying these frauds or, or inaccurate descriptions or expectations. What are some of the tactics you have in mind to like maybe help people you know, maybe other creators who want to be even more successful to quickly see through a pitch that's simply unrealistic. Um, well, if, if, you know, you sort of, for me, like on crypto, particularly these days, mm-hmm. as soon as I use, as soon as I hear people talking about buzzwords and jargon, um, that like, <clears throat> you know, when people start talking about crypto and they go, you know, this is great. You know, decentralized finance, it brings power back to the individual, gives the individual power again. You know, these evil governments and these evil banks, you know, they've been repping us off for years. And, um, you know, there's a reason that there's governing bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a reason that there's referees in the game. And this new area has been rife with fraud. And as soon as I start talk, hear anybody talking about the, you know, decentralized finance is a great thing. I, the, it's a great theory, but mm-hmm. then the application, you know, all right, so what are you saying right after that that really brings us to life and gives me some, some specific proof of concept that that's true or that, you know, we're better off without governments uh, or we're mm-hmm. better off without banks, which means governments and banks you know, I always ask myself, did they evolve for a reason? Is this, is this, is this an evil thing or is this, you know, a necessary element? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess I'm probably rambling a lot also, but I'm always looking for specifics mm-hmm. and much more clarity. And then I also look around at people that know about this stuff that I, I respect their intellect and you try to get somebody who really understands finance 
in navigating finance and, and they're, you know, they're, they're not, they're interested in what works, you know, they're interested in global investments and see what they say about whatever topic. I find an awful lot of these guys keeping their mouth shut. And so when somebody that I know to be really smart fails to speak up in support of something, mm -hmm. I'm getting that what the, there was a phrase a long time ago, the silence is deafening. When people are keeping quiet about stuff that I, that I know to be really smart, that's, that's when, when my spidey sense starts to tingle that it might be a problem. Mm. No, I love it. I'm so glad we got to really chat about this. I, I wouldn't be, you know, I, I don't find talking about cryptocurrency very easy. Like some people just come in so hot-headed and to hear from you and, and how you visualize this and, and really explain in ways uh, that most people can relate to and understand it's so powerful. So if I may pivot a little bit into the tactical empathy, which is such a powerful tool that I notice I, Whenever I think about your book, I think about a list of, you know, seven different emotions, all these things, mirroring, all these techniques. And I notice a lot of the times my audience or people that we host like these webinars with immediately go to tactical empathy. And I love the metaphor, which is, is your Swiss army knife for navigating human relationships and, and behavior. And I feel like it's applicable to so many different areas. And so one thing I really want to probe here Chris, is I find myself surprising in a situation where I'm often communicating digitally um, via a screen. I'm smiling into the screen. I learned that from you, helping people relax and connect. And even brands reach out to me to say, hey, Faye, I really like your slow pace. You know, you slow down and you smile. You make the software tutorial seem so much more understandable. We love your style. Um, but sometimes it's hard for me to put into words as to how what am I doing right versus wrong? And how can more creators kind of learn from your techniques to project and deliver that tactical empathy through a camera as opposed to in person? Yeah, uh, well, it's relatability. I mean, it's, uh, there's, uh, I, I heard an expert throw this number out a long time ago. Uh, you're six times more likely to make a deal with somebody you like. So there's, 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 advantages to being likable um you make yourself smarter you make the person talking with you smarter when you're likable um, uh, sean acker's harvard ted talk uh mm. it's a happy secret to better work he says you're 31 percent smarter in a positive frame of mind so what does that have to do with tactical empathy via zoom via electronic communication i mean what are the things that make you more approachable Mm -hmm. um, to start with, it's just your demeanor. I mean, there's there's no shortage of upside of having a pleasant, fun, smiling demeanor. You, you know, you're just sharper. And if you're more on your game, it helps other people be on their game. So that, you know, that encourages people, I think, via um, uh, digital media. Mm. What about you... Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> no, how do you appear? I mean, and then, and then do you say the things that are really gnawing at people? And do you say them in a relatable way? And what does that mean? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I, what I see a lot is people disguising pronouns, using the word we when they really mean you. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens a lot. 
mm-hmm. or even using the word we when they really mean I. You know, I think if you're talking about, if I'm talking directly to somebody, and even if it's one to many, which is essentially a di- digital, I'm going to say, look, you you feel this way. This the the attempt at empathy, like we all feel this way. Well, you know, we see that in movies and TV all the time, and and in movies and TV, you know, the use of the word we, they're the people they use it on, you know, they go like, oh my god, thank you so much. But it tends to fall flat in real life. I think it's one of the things that movies and TV get wrong. You know, the speaker says, you know, we've all been there. Well, that doesn't work in real life. You know, that doesn't resonate with anybody. It's a, it's attempt kind of at this, you know, this weak collective experience with this thing that common ground, which is very weak. Mm-hmm. And it, when you begin to stop doing the things that make you less approachable, then automatically uh, people can relate to you more quickly. Wow. This is so fascinating because this question comes up all the time. My clients ask me when it comes to web design, you were even like you said, scripting for YouTube videos, they always say, should I use, uh, you know, I or we for my company? I'm on my company to appear bigger. I want to use we so we look more grown up. And I always kind of want to say, especially on your about page, if it's really your own origin story, it's better to use uh, yourself, you know, referring to yourself. Uh, thank you for clarifying that. It's true. Make it really flat and less interesting when you um, change the pronouns that way. Yeah. So I have a quick question. Looks like Adam sent a question. I'm going to pop it up here. So Chris has been traveling the world, sharing knowledge and skills, human um, nature is universal. But have you learned any new perspectives while working outside of the United States? You know, not necessarily new perspectives, but realizing what empathy really means, you know, and the adaptation in, into that culture. In every every region of the world, um, they have ways that they see themselves in a way that they see others. And so it's helpful to get there and find out what it is. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've gone back and forth to the United Arab Emirates a number of times uh, over the last year, trying to develop a partnership there in Dubai. I enjoy going there. They're very business oriented, you know, but realistically, if you want to, if you want to deal with an Emirati, you got to understand how the Emirati sees the world, which is not the same as that there's a difference in culture. I'm still going to be who I am. Um, some, you know, someone might say I'm very American, you know, but I can relate to them as long as I understand how they see things. And so digging in and see, seeing things like every, every ethnicity has a pecking order. I mean, every ethnicity internally within that ethnicity, they got a hierarchy. Now, you don't need to agree with it, but just recognizing that that's how they see things, then they feel more understood and every human being wants to be understood. And in the Middle East, you know, the history is Egyptians were where the pharaohs were. And the Egyptians see themselves as top of the Arab food chain. And everybody knows that. Every, every, every Arabic country knows that, you know, they don't like it, but you know, the Egyptians, you know, we're the Pharaohs, you know, we, we, we ruled the world. And so just recognizing how they see the world without agreeing with it or without being offended by it, but just saying that you recognize it. Uh, I, I'm continually, I'm more reminded of that whenever I'm 
overseas and I've been overseas more the last year and a half. And I don't have a problem with that. This is how you see the world. I neither agree nor disagree, but I respect that this is how you see it. And I'm, uh, I like, it's not a new perspective on it. It's just a reminder what, what empathy really means. Empathy is about what is your counterpart's perspective and not being afraid of it and being able to respect it and know that you can respect it without disagreeing with it. So you pick up those nuances some when, when you're, when you're overseas that you forget about in the United States, because, you know, we get all this ubiquitous media here that is so non uh, discerning, you know, like we want to lump China into one country. Like we talk about China as if, as if it's this monolithic ent ent entity where they all think the same, you know, and the China Chinese, you know, they're collective thinkers and they're this and they're that. Well, a book that uh, I'm, I'm reading now that I'm finding really interesting, The Missing Crypto Queen, talk about this worldwide scam selling a cryptocurrency that never actually existed. The people that were drawn to that were people who were trying to get ahead, the people who were entrepreneurs, people who had bigger hopes and bigger dreams for their lives, and, and in many ways were vulnerable to some of the get-rich-quick get schemes and the Chinese and the Africans and everybody worldwide fell victim to the same emotional appeal that this, this con had going. And so, wait a minute, all these people from China are showing up in Malaysia to attend this conference about multi-level marketing for cryptocurrency. Well, that's individual drive to get ahead for you and your family, no different than the individual drive in the United States and no different than the individual drive in Africa. So there's still human beings wherever you go. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. This is super helpful. Uh, thank you. I, I'm, I'm all over the place too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what the hell is this guy talking about? No, I love this. I just, again, shows like how friendly you are with me and my show. I, I really love when we get to talk to each other as we are just, you know, meeting up after all these years. And, and like I mentioned before I hit the go live, button. It's I love the opportunity to connect with people like yourself, Chris, and, you know, my friends like Dory Clark, and maybe later on, Seth Godin to talk about things that they don't get to really talk about on other shows. I don't want to like cookie cutter you into answering the same questions over and over again. But literally that question Adam just brought up is something that has been something that I've been thinking about and really struggling with is that, for example, uh, as you know, I was born and raised in Beijing, China, People who know me really well can, I'm sure you can, to identify like my origin story or accents or things I don't even recognize. Like people who are very, you know, insightful thinking about this can realize that I'm probably from another culture and I'm proud of it. And I, this is something I teach, I embrace on my YouTube channel. But sometimes I work with other creators and even some of my clients who are very sensitive uh, towards their, we're embarrassed. I don't want to overuse the word embarrassed, sensitive to their accents. They will apologize in a via email to me. They want to, um, they want to correct it. And on top of that, there's a cultural layer of, you know, our gestures, what we're bringing to the camera there, they freeze up and it takes a while to kind of break through. So um, given your experience, uh, what are some of the things and advice that we can give to them? To, to empower them more? Um, never take advice from anybody you wouldn't trade places with. 
uh, I, I think that's the first thing because I think I think people start to shake. You know, they, they get they become afraid of their identity. They they become afraid of where they came from. You know, maybe I got a, an accent that I got to get rid of. Maybe I got hand gestures that aren't appropriate. Well, you're not going to get any good advice. You're going to get a lot of advice on that, but you're not going to get advice from people that are successful at doing doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like when did Arnold Schwarzenegger lose his accent? <laughs> Never. Never. Like I, I, and you know, and like he's as American as could be. I mean, he was governor of California. He was a politician. He proudly pro- proclaimed himself a Republican all along. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that he actually went out of his way to keep his accent. Yeah. You know, uh, he probably practiced it. So we made sure he didn't lose it. I mean, there's there's a great example of somebody hanging on to who they are and where they came from and being proud of their roots, but not trying to be proud of their roots in such a way that it diminishes anybody else. Mm. Like if you if you feel diminished by Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent, that's your problem. Yeah. Because he's not doing anything it, 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 where he's trying to make people feel less around him. Like he works ridiculously hard. He he's always been clearly one of the hardest workers. You know, he's he's collaborate with the the survivors of Hollywood. Uh, continue continue to get stuff done, and but always you know, clearly proud of where he came from, and, and never wanting to cut turn that loose. And ideally, you know, I, I think uh, my early days in New York, everybody there wanted to know what your ethnicity was. And wanted to know how many generations your family had been in the United States, but in a way that they were curious about and mm-hmm. interested in and not trying to get you to blend in. And so I I I I love people who cling, are proud of, enjoy, are grateful for who they are, and wanting to fit in but not blend in, I guess is the uh, is maybe the way it is, you know. Be successful. Let go of the things that are in your your fears that are holding you back. And so the first one is, you know, never take advice from somebody you wouldn't trade places with. If there's a if there's a social media creator that would be a good role model for you in terms of how they handle themselves and the kind of success that they have, that's who you listen to. Mm-hmm. Now, if that social media creator, do you go to that social media creator for advice on your taxes? Probably not. Maybe they're going to tell you who's helping them with their taxes, but also understand what somebody's capable of giving you advice on. And I think there's an awful lot of bad advice in all aspects of life from very well-meaning people. A lot, a lot of the bad advice is from jealous and envious people. That's called criticism. You know, it's advice in disguise, but there's a lot of advice from really well-intentioned people that don't know what they're talking about. They love you. They care about you. There are things they know about but on this particular topic, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm, isn't that eye-opening? What I'm also hearing, Chris, perhaps, is the, these cultural elements. Um, when you start mentioning about the UAE and traveling, and uh, am I also hearing potentially that they, from a technical empathy perspective, it actually can help that person, that brand, the content they're delivering. Maybe they're perhaps more memorable um, and and more approachable to some people. Yeah, I agree. I, I think so. I think that's a really good point. The more you are unashamedly yourself, then the more approachable you probably are. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to win over everybody. I heard, um, uh, wow, 
I'll, I'll think of his name. An interview of, of a guy who's, uh, 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 oh, man. Uh, anyway, he, you know, somebody was criticizing something he said. And he said, I'm not, I can't be held responsible for everybody. You know, said, these people are going to get hurt by what you said. You shouldn't, you know, you know you're not responsible for everybody. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to intentionally, you want to avoid the behavior that you know and, uh, is going to harm people. As long as they're not trying to be victims and be overly sensitive. But um, you can't take responsibility for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. All right. I'm going to have so many questions I want to ask. One thing I think we're warming up to this, which is a little bit on negotiation. I think a lot of creators, they ask me because I have put together some mini courses on brand deals, sponsorships, how to work with brands. As I mentioned a little earlier, it's just a kind of a not undefined, but not well-defined area where creators are often getting an email. Hi, I'm from XYZ company. I found you on YouTube. Your content looked great. How much do you charge for um, creating a video? And people freeze and they don't really know how to respond uh, via email. Sometimes you end up scheduling a call and creators don't really know how to approach it. I wonder if we could like give them a little mini lesson on on these issues or Chris personally, how would you approach something that maybe it is less defined? Like how would you ask those questions to those companies? As well, you know, the first filter is a really counterintuitive filter, uh, which is if you don't know who the fool in the game is, it's probably you. So are they looking for actually, are they looking for free consulting or are they looking for you to be a competing bit? Either and which means in neither case do they plan on using you. And people do this a lot. And people are people are actually conditioned to do this without really knowing it. Mm-hmm. So on a, how much do you charge? Under any circumstances, we pivot away from that as quickly as we can. So the first best best answer to that is a lot. <laughs> Love it. And you're immediately going to get an idea whether or not they, they want to work with you because they want to work with you or they just need a competing bid. Now, the, the more focused they are on getting a price out of you, the more likely it is that you're the competing bid. You're, you're the rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't used to think that until I came into the private sector, I heard about this. But I, I, I never believed that the rabbit existed. And there was um, a gentleman uh, who had written a book on negotiation. I think he called it Bare Knuckle Bargaining. And he called me up shortly after Never Split the Difference came out and said, I love your book. It's a great supplement to mine. So I thought, all right, cool. Well, I got to read this dude's book. And I read the book and it's all about was all about the fact that, you know, the, there's a rabbit. You know, and you were the rabbit. You were there to run run everybody else into the ground. You're never going to get the deal. The dogs are going to, you know, you're going to chase the deal, but you're never going to get it. And I remember reading that book thinking like this. I thought this was a myth. Like I I, I, I saw a movie with uh, Vince Vaughn where this was the whole point of the movie. And I thought that Hollywood was making this up, that it didn't really exist. Like when I wrote Never Split the Difference, I, we had no idea how often this whole rabbit thing uh, comes into play. So when they call you and they, they want, they want to know your price. You got to find out whether or not you're the rabbit. Are you driving somebody down? Mm-hmm. 
and this, you know, you, you characterize the price a little bit, a lot. You give them a chance to react. That's going to give you more data, more feedback as to, you know, do they want to work with you? Um, if if you say a lot and you wait and they come back on you just after the price, after the price, after the price, chances of them using you, unless you do it for free, are extremely low. I talked before on a full fee agent, like how do you not waste your time? So let's say they pursue it some more. Well, there's something that we call a law of gravity, which is vision drives decision. Everybody has a vision for where their actions are going to take them before they take their actions. Everybody, it's just, just human nature. So you want to know if they had a vision for working with you before they called or if they're just looking for a price. If they're looking for a price, they got no vision of working with you. How do you find out if they got a vision of working with you? Something as simple you know, this this MacGyver tool skill that we talk about all the time called the label. Next thing we're going to say is, seems like you had something in mind before you called. And then you got to go dead silent, let them, let them fill in the gaps. This is going to give you a lot more information as to whether or not they had anything in mind. If they had something in mind with you, they're going to be able to articulate it at that point in time because they feel like there's no obligation. It's getting people to have conversations where there's no obligation so it can be an honest conversation. So now you you also want to begin to feel them out on a price because, you know, prices have sweet spots. Like the most, if you can maximize the dollars out of them, you might get the deal and they will probably never do business with you again. You also don't want to come in too low because you're leaving money on the table. You need to find out what their sweet spot is. And then you need to find out also, like, what goes with the price. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, price pays a bill. Price doesn't build your career. You know, the delivery of what they're looking to expect, where it's going to land, how it's going to be used, how it's going to continue to in an ongoing relationship that's really how you build your career and how you build what you do so price even even if they plan on using you even if they don't giving you a good price and you do a phenomenal to get attribution do they talk about it? um do they use you as an example to let other people know that they worked with you and they were really happy with what you did and they'd repeat I mean, these are the things that are much more valuable than the price. A lot of people are just starting out. They're being shopped on. Price. You're thinking like, you know, you're talking about long-term advantages and I got a mortgage now. I got, I got, I got rent right now. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really hard to get out of the mindset. But as soon as you're out of the short-term mindset and you're working long-term, long-term's coming. Long-term ain't that far away. You know, next month is going to be here pretty soon. Six months from now is going to be here pretty soon. You start thinking mm-hmm. more long-term building value, that's that plant in that oak tree. And in point of fact, the oak tree grows pretty fast once you start to nurture it. Mm. Well, I am. As you're talking, I just feel like I'm playing this movie in my head of how I have negotiated like so many brand deals in the past couple of years. Chris, I have the tendency when they ask for something, and I rely on some past data to say, okay, I guess I charge 
$500 for a mention, $1,000 for a fully integrated video. And I send them the pricing sheet. You're right. Sometimes I don't hear back and I, they start to immediately focus on price itself. And they, I feel like they even lose that vision, even if they had one to begin with. And they start focusing on how to get more for the money that they're paying for. Um, I'm also learning as I'm hearing is sometimes I am absolutely leaving money on the table, uh, not by not letting them speak first. Um, they have a price in mind and then between us, like personal finance companies pay multiples of what a software company is willing to pay, which I didn't know before. Um, and all of a sudden there's a new price dollar anchor. Um, and my follow through isn't as great as I thought I was. Uh, like you said, I, I forgot that just because they don't have the budget now, for instance, in December um, for Q4, doesn't mean that it won't have a new budget in, in Q1. And there isn't a mechanism I built for my business to be able to nurture that and follow those things through. So I'm just taking notes, verbalizing my action and next steps. <laughs> well, and these are all really easy things to do because, you, you know, you're trying to make things work now. And, you know, point of fact, anybody that actually wants to deal with you, they probably got something ridiculously valuable that they could do for you or with you. If you could just figure out what it is, it'd be worth more than the fee. Hmm. Yeah. What could that be? I'm, I'm trying to like, <laughs> like, please stop brainstorming on a live stream. But one thing that I've tried for the first time, Chris, is that when a brand is very apologetic and say that the budget isn't there just yet. Sometimes I offer to kind of run the test. If I love the brand so much, I will create a video for them for free as opposed to charging so little. Um, uh, that's one option. And sometimes we, I will say, how about I write a featured post um, and you know they can link back to my website and we can really establish something so that their manager, their content lead could take a look. Do you think that's that's a false action or that's something to be. <laughs> no, I think that's a great idea because you also want to know, you know, how reciprocal is a relationship going to be, mm. you know, and if, if they're and you know, you lead first and you, you're going to, you will have learned from the experience. Let's say they're not reciprocal at all. And they're taking you for a ride. You just mm -hmm. got smarter through the process. You got, you got a better idea what that, what the user looks like, you know, the, uh, uh, my, my buddy, Joe Polish likes the phrase half hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. You know, you got a better instinct for what somebody who's half is, or, I mean, it's nothing but learning. And I, I think it's a great idea. And I also, I love, you know, there are people that are, I love working with people that are generous, like you're a generous person. And so like, whatever you want, if we can do it, you know, we're going to pull the trigger. And you want me to show up in uh, in Venice Beach for a documentary film? Like I'm there. I don't even I don't even need to know anymore. Oh, and, you know you're 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 a generous person, and, and generous people attract other generous people, and they continue to collaborate. And pretty soon, everything you're doing is lifted up. I mean, there's a documentary film uh, that was just recently com completed about my company called Tactical Empathy. It focuses mostly on Brandon and I. And I, I and the guy that did it, um, Nick Nanton, you know, I, I, we by sheer coincidence, we bump into each other in the airport in Nashville just a couple of days ago. Like Nick is a generous dude, like and I think he would call it servant based leadership service. You know, he'll do for you before um, the, his first move is to do great stuff for you. And he's done extraordinary things. He's as a documentary filmmaker, he's won 22 Emmys. 
Wow. Like, that's still not going to protect you from getting taken advantage of occasionally. Like, like my buddy Joe, very generous. Uh, he's been taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. You know, every now and then, Nick's going to get taken advantage of. It doesn't make you bulletproof. What it just does is it make you happier and more successful than you would be otherwise. And you're going to take a shot occasionally. You're going to do something generous like what you were just talking about for a client. Let me do this. Let me try this. Let me do this for you for free. Mm-hmm. Seven out of 10 of those people, it's going to be, it will be a great move. Now, three out of 10, you, you wasted your time. They took advantage of you. Like a 70% win rate at Vegas will make you ridiculously rich. You only got to get to 51% in the casinos to have more money than anybody else does. Mm-hmm. But as human beings, a 30% failure rate is like it's heart-wrenching. You know, we feel stabbed in the heart. We, we blame ourselves. We, we feel we should have been smarter. I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I mean, that's kind of how you leave money on the table. Uh, that 30% failure rate is just can be soul crushing. And you forget that a 70% success rate is like awesome and will make you and all your, and your family wealthy for generations. Mm, I know this is going to be a killer micro content. I can't wait to take out. I cannot believe I didn't see the fact that by failing 30% is not a detriment. It's, you know, I'm not being taken advantage of. Um, and then 70% is people who do come back and say yes, and we develop the long-term relationship. And, and also to add to that, Chris, sometimes I feel like, you know, by running my business since 2016, yes, occasionally I only admit this to you, like all oh, the, all these other people are doing so well. A 25 year old woman on YouTube takes one year to build a six, even a multi seven figure businesses. I'm like, oh my God, but I forgot that most businesses do fail and, there are certain things that you just reminded me that I want to like go celebrate later today. You should. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So one thing I, um, I kind of like reflected all the years of learning from never split the difference and, and really practicing. Um, I, and I want to respect your time. So I'm like trying to pick the right question. One thing, Chris, I noticed is the things that throw me off my game, um, which is different for different people. But for me, I realized some of that could come from, you know, trauma, childhood trauma. I know I'm not the only one, but I, you know, for a period of time, I grew up in a household, which was not my parents, where people screamed and shouted at each other. There was a lot of tension constantly. You know, I, I slept poorly. So I, I kind of like put that experience in the box. But until I read your book, I realized, oh, I'm doing well. I checked all the boxes. And when it comes to negotiation or, or having even just a normal conversation with a client, when they raise their voices, when they start arguing, I feel very triggered and I feel very off balance. Um, so I just wonder, are there ways where for me um, as a very mature uh, adult now that I can pay attention to and, and, and to be able to minimize and kind of melt that away in those moments? Uh, you know, that's a challenge for everybody. What are the triggers and how do we deal with them? And experimenting you know there's probably two or three ways to deal with it and um and how do you get better at it mm-hmm. i mean anytime you can run the tape back in your head and then you go in and you re-edit it and you envision yourself reacting the way you wish you would have you know with calm um with empathy 
you know, and this is not running a tape back in your head. And I know you wouldn't do this, but a lot of people do, you know, this is what I wish I would have said to him. I wish I would have told him now. You know, I know you're not doing that because that's not the way to finish. But uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Andrew Huberman's Huberman Labs podcast. Like he is my source for neuroscience data, human performance data, the cutting edge stuff on how the, the brain works. You know, what I just talked, what I just mentioned is what athletes used to call visioning. They would imagine them doing themselves, doing it right. If they missed the game winning shot, they go into the gym and they mentally rehearse making the game winning shot. You know, they took their failures and they go back and they mentally rehearse them as successes. And it's something called visioning. And it's the way athletes actually improve their performance. Well, you can do this as a human being. You go back to where you failed and you reimagine yourself doing it properly. Now, what made me uh, mention Huberman? Huberman then on one of his podcasts recently talked about that, you know, the voice that we think we hear in our head, some neural speech mechanisms, that's actually a voice. Are the mechanisms that engage our voice are actually being engaged when we hear the voice in our head, which is what makes these rehearsals in our brain real. So if we relive the moment and we just, oh my God, I'm going to react like this. This is the way I always re- react. You've just rehearsed doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. But if you take those moments back in your head and then reimagine yourself doing it right, or or let's say you're coming up on an interaction with somebody that triggers you all the time. What do you do? I know they're going to do this. And I know I'm going to get triggered and I know I'm going to get mad. Well, you're rehearsing doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. So all you got to do is step in at that point in time, be the director of your movie and say, all right, now let's try this with another take. Let's try this with another. And if you imagine yourself doing it right and imagine it enough times, which usually it takes about 63 to 64 repetitions to build a new habit. I get reason for saying that and I'll, uh, which would bore you, but just uh, 63 to 64 tries. It sounds like a lot, but over a course of, I mean, how many times are you going to rehearse it wrong over the course of the coming year when it's 63 to 64 rehearsals in two to three weeks, you've rewired a different way of responding. So you can go in there and you can work with that wiring and you can fix it. And the way that you fix it is by imagining yourself doing it right. And you've imagined yourself doing it right enough times. It's going to stick. Mm. Oh, this is so revealing. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Chris. I, I also, uh, like you said, practicing the talk to clients where I don't do the talking all the time, especially during a sales call. It was, it took me a long time. I even measure it through different software tools. I can see that I'm doing a lot of talking. So I want to make sure that I let you off the hook in a, in a few minutes. But the last thing, Chris, I have to ask you is you have been, you are seen as someone who is highly successful. I've known you since 2016, interviewed multiple times, and now I'm seeing you in even more places. You know, you name it. I It's going to take me a while to even go through the list of people whose shows you've appeared on and, uh, but I, I just wonder, like, how do you manage your own success? How, how not to feel overwhelmed all the time, to be recognized all the time? Like, how do you still preserve that, that, that version of yourself? 
Well, yeah, you want to go. Fa- you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go as a team. I mean, we're constantly working on the team, constantly trying to bring in people. In my personal and professional life, where I share core values with those people, and I'm, you know, it's it's a struggle to remind myself to just enjoy the ride and just enjoy the ride. Don't quit. You know, you can't Molly Bloom. I'm a huge Molly Bloom fan. Molly says, uh, you can't lose if you don't quit. Don't quit on yourself. Like maybe you shouldn't be in the right position. Maybe you're not in the right place in life. There was a Harvard professor. I wish I could remember his name at a business school. who talked about quitting his way to happiness. Well, what he did was he left situations that were bad for him. But he never gave up on himself. You know, he never quit on himself. So changing your circumstances and changing your surroundings may be the smarter move. Don't quit on yourself. And and do something, you know, cliche. Do what you love. Find, find what makes you happy. Stick with it. And, I mean, what I do makes me happy. And I'm sticking with it. Thank you so much, Chris, um, for your wonderful lessons and reflections. I want to remind people who are watching this now or later to check out the full fee agent on Amazon, everywhere book is sold. If you don't have a copy of Never Split the Difference, this is a absolute must have. So please get both. And last but not least, my mom, <laughs> Xiangli Art from my mom. Xiangli is a Forbidden City master artist who spend months painting the silk painting. And uh, I will include a link as well for people to check it out. And this is, you know, uh, Chris is my North Star and we have this painting right outside my office and I get to see and it's a great reminder. And thank you so much, Chris. I really hope you get to see this painting in person. It's truly phenomenal. I know it is. I look forward to that day. Thank you so much. I'm going to take us off line now. I'm going to end the stream. Thank you so much for all the live participants. So we'll see you next time. Bye.